In this week's Planet Korea, we're dipping our toes into politics. Not that this is a show about politics, but politics and economics drive so much of the culture that we explore week to week, ranging from solo culture and people eating alone and living minimalistically, and in the younger generations that have given up things their parents and their grandparents took as mandatory, like large weddings, owning a home of your own, and having children. We're at a really interesting time in this country. In order to get crucial statistics like the birth rate back in the black, the administration is essentially aiming to re-stitch the Korean social fabric and arrive at a fairer economic deal for everyone. The question is, can the spirit of candlelight that brought down one president and elected another translate into the momentum needed to make deep changes in how this society works? Part of the equation is taming the chebol, the giant conglomerates that built this country, but so often exercise overwhelming force over entire market sectors and are increasingly seen as hotbeds of corruption. To talk about that, I met up with two friends. Stephen Borowick is a journalist with Korea Exposé, who recently wrote an extensive article on the 20-year mark since South Korea accepted a bailout package from the IMF. And then there's Daniel Tudor, the former Economist magazine correspondent who famously criticized South Korea's chebol-manufactured beer for being boring, and then succeeded in co-launching a beer brand of his own amid legal changes that ensued from all of that. I caught up with them both at one of Dan's pubs. Cool, guys. Good to see you. Hey, Dan, you. thanks for having us over to your craft beer place. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, like... The Dan Tudor story has been spun and respun in Korean yeah, mostly media. Mostly by me. <laughs> mostly by you. No, no, a lot of people have caught on. I mean, just in a very quick nutshell, you uh, criticized yeah, South, South Korean, Korean beer. beer yeah. You compared it to North Korean beer. You got under the skin of South Koreans. The downstream effect of that mm. uh, was a change in beer brewing laws and beer distribution laws. And suddenly this whole small and medium enterprise market opened up for uh, small beer brewers. How much of that is your fault directly? Um, I mean, I'd love to take credit for all of it, um, but uh, maybe I'll take credit for some of it. Yeah. Um, I think that it was um, an unlocked door waiting to be pushed uh, by somebody. And uh, I know that a lot of other foreign correspondents here, after I wrote that piece, came up and said, oh, you know, I, I was thinking about writing my beer one day and I just didn't get around to doing it or whatever. And I think I was probably just the, the lucky one who, uh, who said it. And uh, yeah, it was it was it was a it was a controversy waiting to happen because the yeah the beer market here is pretty terrible. And so you became a little bit of a, a kind of a legend in a way, in the sense that you know a, a metaphor, a David and Goliath metaphor. You know, uh, somebody entering into a previously chebol strangled field of consumption and nudging and changing the way people consume here. To what extent, you know? Are you sort of uh, the the folk hero of the person taking on the chebol, or is that too much? Am I just going? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love to think of myself in that way, but yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't really feel I'm, I'm that important. Um, we, yeah, I, I got into this just fifty uh, yeah, percent as a hobby, fifty percent as uh, yeah. I, I want to try and change the culture in some way. I didn't think oh, this would change my life like financially. It would be a big business or anything, but yeah, it, it's overall. Uh, 
like, Koreans are becoming more more critical of the stuff that's been sort of forced upon them for years and years. I mean, any market that's worth having in Korea, any any kind of product that people want, historically and still to this day, is really dominated by these Chebol companies. Uh, and often you'll find that there's a choice of two or maybe three products if you're lucky, and they're of a similar price and a very similar quality. Yeah. And I think people are finally getting sick of that and realizing that. You know, so beer's more. just kind of a metaphor that's easy to latch on, Steve. Yeah. I saw your excellent article in Korea Expose, sort of a a wrap of the fact that uh, December of last year marks the anniversary of South Korea accepting the IMF's money. But in a sense, you can look at 2018, this coming year as the year of South Korea implementing all of those policies that came with the IMF. You've got this great sampling of various sectors of society and their suffering, which they attribute back to the IMF. It's still in this country called the IMF crisis. And I think that's uh, a way of communicating a bit of resentment, but also just the significance. Like early in my article, I had this paragraph where I said, Maybe once in a generation there's an economic effect, economic event that affects a permanent changing of a country's economy. And I do feel like the IMF crisis, if we can call it that, we can also call it the Asian financial crisis of 1997, I do feel like it had this permanent reshaping of the way Koreans think about employment and the economy. And as Daniel was talking about, the the fact that there have been a small handful of companies that have been able to dominate the economy to a pretty significant extent. It wasn't always like that. And some of the economists I talked to told me that their interpretation of the crisis was that it took a bite out of the middle of the economy that had never gone back. And I think the long-term legacy of this economically and socially and psychologically was kind of underappreciated. Well, it suggests sort of I don't want to say cognitive dissonance. It's an inner conflict about exactly who Koreans lay the blame at the foot of. They say the IMF crisis as if it was the IMF, sort of the outsider, that caused all of these effects. They don't call it the Chebol overbowering crisis. They don't call it the Chebol happily implementing all of these labor policies crisis. IMF is a shorthand for the outsider did it to us. Well, and one thing that can get lost in that diagnosis of the situation is that the IMF bailout worked as intended, but there were certain sectors of the society and there were certain individuals and groups that were permanently affected, and they're living today with the very real and very lasting legacy of what happened to them then. I mean, if you get in a taxi somewhere in Seoul, I mean, often you'll find, if you talk to the driver, that uh, exactly, you know, he used to have a business or uh, yeah, he, used to, you know, he was doing pretty well, and then... Yeah, 20 years ago, something happened, See, that's exactly now he's driving a taxi. That's exactly how I got the idea to do this story. I was doing reporting a couple of years ago for a totally different story, and in doing that story, I needed to find a very specific kind of person, so I did a lot of interviews with middle-aged and elderly guys who were kind of down on their luck, and I noticed a pattern, something that so many of them told me was, my life changed in the IMF crisis. I had a good job and I got laid off, or I had a business and it collapsed. Mm. What makes 2018 so amazing is that the de facto head of the flagship Chebol mm. is sitting behind bars and kind of awaiting his fate. And there seems, you guys can correct me if I'm overstepping on this, but there seems to be a confluence of uh, this suffering of older generation and the awareness of younger generations. I mean, what ticked off the whole candlelight protests of last year 
at the very start was this perception that a young college girl had gotten into an elite college because of influence and power. And that's what snowballed into the candlelight revolution, if you want to call it, the candlelight movement, let's call it. So those who want to push forward this sort of more equal, more uh, fair uh, social agenda are saying, let's keep candlelight alive. I want to ask the two of you, do you think there's all of this sort of philosophy hardwired into those candles? Or were the candles just about being ticked off at very specific people for very specific things? I think you could point to the IMF crisis as very roughly the inception of, or uninception point, of the discontent that eventually led to the movement okay. that we saw in Kind of drying the tinder. Yeah, and it's just the sort of the beginning of real inequality, the beginning of it being really tough to get a stable job for life, and the beginning of there being this growing sense that the only people in this country that can get ahead are those who are already wealthy and already well-connected. And I think the, the case that you alluded to of the very well-connected young woman getting into a prestigious university, that really catalyzed that, and I think that tapped into some anger that was already there and had been simmering for quite a while. Match and Tinder, that's a good model. So, I mean, as reporters, I mean, you putting on your old uh, Economist magazine hat and you in your current Korea expose role, when you seek to frame the chebol and the relationship between the average Korean and the various chebol, are they sacred cows anymore? I mean, are they patriotic nation builders or... I think it's a really interesting mix of envy and resentment. And I think one thing we've seen over the past several years is that displeasure with the excesses of the chebol and the uh, corruption allegations we've seen and all the rest has peaked but along with that more people than ever want to work for Jebel and if you look at the number of people who apply for positions at some of the more prominent companies and the number of people that they actually accept it's this incredibly big imbalance and so I think a lot of people are would like to see reform more than revolution they'd like to see the way that these companies function internally change and the way that, that their relationships with smaller companies and with the economy as a whole become more fair but at the same time, I think they're seen as a really important source of growth and one of the last bastions of stable, well-paid employment. I mean, the fact is, if you get a job at a Jebel when you're 23 years old, you're going to be making maybe twice what you would be making at a, an SME, and you wouldn't have to worry that your company is going to go out of business or not be able to pay you some months. So, People, uh, especially young people going into Korean companies now, they know, uh, they're, 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 not, you know they're, they're quite smart. They, they know that it's a one-sided bargain now to some extent you uh, you're expected to fulfill your old role in this sort of paternalistic system where you uh you know you, you go to all the drinking sessions you go to mountain climbing at the weekend but you don't get that uh lifetime um you know beneficial you, you, you don't you're not treated as part of the family anymore it makes the whole deal seem much less appealing doesn't right it? right 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 and even if you do get that job you, they might push you out you know, when you're in your early 50s and you end up opening a chicken shop anyway. Uh, yeah, or driving a taxi. Mm. Yeah. These big companies are not the country. And I think sometimes people in the Korean mainstream public and in the legal and judicial branches of government have been kind of reluctant to criticize or to rein in these companies on the basis that they are representing Korea abroad and they are such a big part of the economy and they are such a big part of the national image and the national uh, sense of self. 
it can be quite hard, as Daniel can tell you, it can be quite hard to set up a small business and to tap into the kinds of distribution networks and all the rest of things that you need to be successful. So, if I may, I think it's, it's easy to have a small business uh, and probably it's easy to run a big business, but it's hard to make that step from being a small one to a yeah, big it's one. It's hard to turn your small business yeah. into to a medium-sized business. Yeah. There's just not, I mean, if, if you want to grow, it's really, it's hard to get investment. Yeah. Uh, there's an inherent conservatism. Yeah. Uh, and it, I think I think people have this this idea that big things are done by Chebel, and, and that's it. I hope that the 20th anniversary of the IMF crisis is, if anything, an occasion to reflect on the way things have gone for the past 20 years and ask questions about how things are organized now and if they can be improved. And you know, this is a, a country full of very diligent and very intelligent people, and there's no reason that things can't work better in some ways in the economy. So, politically speaking, what are President Moon's prospects for implementing all of these reforms that he's got on the agenda? To talk about that, I invited Kim Ji-yoon, a senior research fellow from the Asan Institute, into the studio. Ji-yoon Kim, it's nice to see you again. Thanks for coming into the studio. Well, thanks for having me. So we talked to the guys just now about economic inequality mm-hmm. and recalibrating sort of the Chebol and small and medium-sized enterprise relationship, which is just one out of a vast number of policy points that President mm-hmm. Moon wants to get to in this incredibly ambitious 2018 that he's looking forward to. A lot of it he binds together with this spirit of the candlelight demonstrations. Mm-hmm. He's always saying, let's keep the candlelight demonstrations alive, that spirit. I want to ask you, you know, based on your data, is the candlelight movement an mm-hmm. actual political movement that represents sort of a broader ideology? Or was it more of a targeted, uh, very specific anti-corruption kind of thing? Well, I have to say that those um, candlelight movement um, took place uh, between 2016, I'm sorry, 2016 and 2017 mm. dramatically changed the political landscape of Korea. Before okay. it was very conservative, you know, the political situation in Korea. And then afterward, we have, we have been conducting the public opinion polls is heavily, heavily progressive. And you can see that a lot of in opinion polls saying that, well, more than 60% of Koreans still support that we have to eradicate um, the corruptions and they still support to really high approval rating, like a 70% for President Moon Jae-in. So, well, overall, I mean, people still have some traumatic memory about the uh, previous government yes, and sending a big support for uh, President Moon Jae-in. And becoming more and more progressive and realize um, social problems that we have never thought about before, such as economic inequality, more seriously. Mm. So I I think it was a, a very landmark political event in Korean history. That's so interesting to hear that from you, the idea that it was a definite shift in a more progressive direction, even though very specific anger at certain individuals Mm -hmm. catalyzed it. I remember some of the street processions, and they had these gigantic sort of effigies of corporate entities, Mm -hmm. chebols, that people were angry at. And there was, uh, uh, for the time being, a real unity between generations Mm -hmm. and disparate social groups around this sort of banner. Uh, The question is, 
how to put that into action in terms of a policy agenda. So what do you reckon, what do you reckon are some of the government's key tasks for this year in terms of a to-do list? Well, I think they want to guarantee the fair competition. I don't really think Korean people are that liberal. I mean, mm. when, whenever we do the uh, public opinion polls, I mean, Korean people are not like Scandinavians. Mm. They do not really want high tax. Well, nobody wants high tax in the world, but uh, they do not want that much high level of social welfare. Sure. And they think that social welfare should go and distribute it to those who need. So we are kind of in the middle. And then also they feel uh, the competition is good. But what they were frustrated is we didn't really have the same starting point. I we hear. always had a really unfair starting point. And some people who got, you know, the wealthy family and their privilege and advantages. But on the other hand, even though I really worked hard, I'm not really get rewarded. So that was the frustrating feeling uh, that the, a lot of Korean people shared. So uh, I don't really think the President Moon is trying to transform Korea into Scandinavian model, <laughs> but as, at least try to guarantee it. there's a fair competition. And if you are ready, then you can succeed in this society. And, you know, it's always worth remembering that what touched this off mm-hmm. in large part was a schoolgirls protest mm-hmm. over the fact that one phone call got this young lady into a prestigious university. Mm-hmm. And that sort of started the anger rolling. Right. There's this whole aspect of uh, corruption and mm-hmm. obviously certain trials are going on. Major corporate head is behind bars this year, which is kind of staggering news. And there's this idea of changing the way the government cracks down mm-hmm. on corruption. One of President Moon's ideas is to set up this sort of anti-corruption body. Mm-hmm. What are the prospects for that, do you reckon? Is that uh, something that he can get off the ground? Well, I mean, although the opposition parties and um, those rivals are saying that and accusing President Moon that he's um, so focused on the political revenge, but as I said, you know, more than 60% of Koreans support it. And a lot of Koreans uh, share the feeling that the reason why we end up here is because we didn't really finish what we had to finish like 67 years ago. So a lot of people think that this is the moment for the Korean history and which is really necessary that we really have to close a chapter that was you know, corrupted and old past and finished that. That's probably why a lot of people still... Um, continue to support anti-corruption movement mm. and also support the President Moon. It's a, it's a big step. And this is a year full of proposed big steps, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're saying the Constitution needs its first sort of software update since 1987, mm-hmm. right? They want to completely revamp the Constitution. Right. Is there enough consensus, do you reckon, do you reckon in uh, Korean society for that? Well, a lot of Koreans, more than majority, actually ha- uh, agree that we need to revise the Constitution. But how to, that's the question. Well, there's a lot of public opinion polls, but I don't really trust any of them because it's too early to say. And then all the wordings, his questions are so different. Mm-hmm. So I think one thing that we can assure is people want to revise uh, the Constitution and go for the future and how to ask the question. Uh, but I'm not really sure the future of the revision um, this year because opposition party is you know, very harshly opposed to it. Mm-hmm. And you know, for the constitutional revision, you need their support. So, what do you rec- do? You, do you think the political culture in Korea um, has the same sort of degree of health that we saw in the candlelight protests of, you know, building consensus, or um, do you think the impasse will will last? Well. Uh, 
I mean, this is about the and the now the how the the parliament and national assembly consists of. I mean, this is the result of the 2016 national assembly election, and if there were an election, national assembly election this year, um, it looked probably very different from now. Mm. Um, the present party probably would get more than a majority, but even I think two thirds of the seats, I guess. Well, but we have to wait for that, and maybe the the support and the popularity will dissipate uh, by then, 2020. Mm. Uh, but in some way, I think Korean people are comfortable with that situation because you know you know we've been through those in you know, the authoritarian regime, military dictatorship, uh, under which um, those small number of politicians and also president could do whatever he wanted. And under this situation, it is impasse, stymied. But at least you can uh, block somebody who is doing, you know, something wrong and something terrible, mm. uh, which people, a lot of people think. So in some way, I know it's just really frustrated. But in other way, at least you can block somebody's, you know, going forward, you know, what people do not really want. You have such an optimistic sort of glass glass half view of the democratic process. It's yeah. uh, it's very healthy. It's it, this is how it goes. You stay at loggerheads for a while. Korea usually kind of moves in these big pendulum swings of political right. sentiment. Anyway, there are elections this year in mm-hmm. various corners. You know, mayors, uh, governors, governors, stuff like that. Yeah. To what extent do you see that as a kind of a barometer for for Moon's success in all of these sort of fundamental political changes he wants to bring about? Well, you can't really guess the how many seats and how many uh, the mayorship and uh, governorship the party can get only based on the uh, the percentages of for the support for a particular party because it's the system electoral system is different. Mm-hmm. It's basically a single member district system, so you have to do the polls of each district, each uh, city, and each province. So it is really hard to tell. But at this point, it seems that President Moon's party MPK is going to win uh, a lot of in the mayorship and also governorship. The momentum is in Moon's yes. favor at this point as we sit here. Um, that's a nice overview of just some of the things that are influencing political culture in what is clearly one of the sort of most wide-ranging and ambitious agendas a president has had in a while. Constitutional reform, anti-corruption, and uh, leveling the playing field on inequality. Ji-Yoon Kim, Senior Research Fellow at the Asan Institute. Thanks for coming in. Thank you.